It's a great story, the story of the nativity. And as young parents, we had little cardboard books. And in fact, this Wednesday, I was downstairs with the kids in the, in the room while the mothers were up here. And I read some of these little cardboard books about the birth of Jesus. And it's such a, a lovely story to read and to point out those animals. And, but the truth about this baby is that there is the potential for this baby to cause discomfort in your life. He will disrupt your world if you discover who he is. He will make your plans change so that they accommodate God's plans in your life. And in Matthew chapter 1, we find out um, a different perspective about this baby. And actually, the question that Matthew 1 would suggest is that whose baby is this, is the question of Matthew chapter 1. Because we find out that the husband of Mary, Joseph, encounters a situation that's really awkward. And that's where we are in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. But of course, just so you know, verses 1 to 17 are the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ and shows that Jesus Christ came from Abraham, came from David. But he's like, let me tell you how he came from David is through his father, Joseph. But it was an awkward situation. You see this in verse 18. It says, the birth of Jesus Christ happened this way. While his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together in the Jewish system, you would have a formal gathering of the families. You would have this betrothal declared. A dowry would be exchanged, the, the man giving money to the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the woman's family. And you would be, then be considered to be a legally married couple, but there was a year of waiting, a year of anticipation, a, a year of, of expectation, and then that year would end, and you would have the wedding feast, you would consummate the marriage, you would have the physical union of, of man and woman according to God's holy design, and they would experience the beauty of that, and that's the way it was supposed to work. But here they are. They've had the, the official, formal marriage ceremony. They're betrothed. But before they had the consummation, the, the wedding feast, all that celebration, something happens. She was found to be pregnant. Now, this happens... Um, today quite often, and, and we're not surprised by it, but you've you got to think of a conservative Jewish culture of the first century. This is scandalous, shocking. Um, 
for Joseph, uh, you know, his own character and is now impugned in this situation because as she begins to show that baby, everyone is looking at him and saying, oh, couldn't wait, Joseph, eh? Ha, ha, ha. Look at you. What kind of righteous man are you? You know, I mean, there, there's all sorts of issues. Now, Matthew is careful, as is Luke, to designate that she is pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But at this point, Joseph doesn't know that. All he knows is that this woman that he's, he's looking forward to finally marrying and, and enjoying marriage with and having a family together with is pregnant with someone else's child. Whose baby is this? It's a fair question for Joseph. But an awkward situation. His life plan has been thrown upside down. This is not the way that I dreamed that this would happen. We're supposed to have that wedding feast. We're supposed to go off to the Mediterranean Sea for our honeymoon. We're supposed to have 10, 12 kids, you know, and, and, you know, and, and do this and do that. And the business is going to grow. My sons are all going to, you know, take on the business and we're going to expand and take over Galilee. I mean, he's got his plans, but God's plans are different than Joseph's plans. Have you found that maybe? God's plans are different than your plans. In the story continues, because Joseph, her husband-to-be, was a righteous man, because he did not want to disgrace her, he intended to divorce her privately. You see, the options were, were, were different. Like, he, he could have taken her down to the public square, to the city gates, where all the elders and people and, and town gossips lurked, waiting for t- tidy, you know, g- juicy bits of gossip. And he could have said, this woman is pregnant! And I had nothing to do with it. So I divorced her now in front of all of you. So, no, so all of you know that I am a righteous man and she is a fill in the blank. <laughs> that was an option. He could have stepped on her character in order to elevate his character. He could have ran her down in order to make himself look better in this scenario, in this situation. But he's a righteous man. He doesn't want to just cause grief to Mary because he suddenly finds himself in this difficult, awkward, and unexpected situation. And so he decides to privately, quietly, just with a few witnesses, that's all it took, two or three witnesses, we sign the paper, we're done, we're over. This is, this, this is no longer a marriage, it's annulled. I, I want my money back. <laughs> you know, in a way, this is done. I'm going to find another one. You know, and I mean, let's just let's just get this out of the way, and I'll, maybe I'll, I'll just switch my business to another town or whatever the case may be. She's probably going to move somewhere else. I mean, he's just like I, I, I just want. I can't move forward with another man's child. Not to mention what that would say about her own character. But you see, he doesn't know what's going on in the situation. And it's always good to maybe pause and pray and think about things before we jump to action. And it says in verse 20, when he had contemplated this, I mean, he's really thinking about it. He's really working it through. He's going to try to respond in the most godly way that he can in this situation. I mean, my betrothed is pregnant. What am I supposed to do? I don't want to run her down, but I, don't, I can't really continue with her because, I mean, whose child is that? he's thinking about this. He's thinking about this. And God's like, let me fill in the blank, Joseph. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. He's sleeping. And this angel appears. It's, it's like it's real. It's not fuzzy. It's not one of those dreams you wake up and you're like, oh, I wish I could remember what I was dreaming. No, it's like bright and, and like, hmm, you know, technicolor. 
4D or 5K or whatever they call it now, you know, one of those TVs that just, you know, feels like you're, okay, you know, you know, they're kicking the ball right at your head, you know, like, this is like real, 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 real. And he says, Joseph, son of David, which is important. Because in order for the, the Messiah, who was supposed to come from David's line. And it was, it was essential that the child that, that, that w- would become the Messiah, the deliverer, the anointed king of Israel, he needed to come to the line of David. And Joseph was from the line of David. He says, Joseph, son of David, you have an important role in my plan. I need you, Joseph, son of David. And look what it says. Do not be afraid. And this is the message of the Christmas story. People that encounter God in this story, this is what, always what God has messaged to them is don't be afraid. And then even Jesus, as he continues his ministry, that's what he keeps telling people. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And in a world in the first century, just like it is in our century, consumed by fear, the message of God to us is don't be afraid. Yes, there's all sorts of garbage going on. You think the Roman Empire was a great place to live? No, there's all sorts of, you know, stuff and, you know, the same kind of stuff, just different colors and different shapes, but it's always the same. Every generation, every millennia, the, the sinfulness of human nature, power, control, blah, 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 you know, you know injustice. It, it's, it's been going on and on and on and on. And, and he's like, but don't be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife. Because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, it's my baby. <laughs> Matthew doesn't give us any of the details of how that happened, and it's not important. What's important is that this woman did not have sex, but was now pregnant. It was the virgin conception. I don't think it was the virgin birth, because you can't give birth and still be a virgin. That doesn't really work, but biologically, although others would suggest that it could happen, there's nothing in the text that would indicate that that actually happened, or that she continued to be a virgin for the rest of her life until today. Uh, Matthew 13 talks, names Jesus' brothers by name, four of them, and his sisters, it says. So, So there was a wonderful family with Joseph and Mary, Jesus, and all of these kids. It was a beautiful family. And God's like, I've got a plan for you to have a beautiful family. But the first one is mine, Joseph. And you're going to look after him. And you're going to care for him. And you're going to name him. It's from the Holy Spirit. So uh, the birth of Jesus was God's plan. It wasn't Joseph's plan. Probably wasn't Mary's plan. It was God's plan. That he would send his son and that he would have this perfect birth because he doesn't have a father. He's, he's just, you know, he's, you know, that chromosome comes from God and, and there he is and he, he's formed in the womb and, and, and he would be born and, and Joseph is, is going to take responsibility. We'll find out in a moment, but it's God's plan. It's not our plan. It's not the Jews' plan. It's not anyone else's plan, but it's God's plan. It's the perfect plan. It's a plan that can be trusted. It's a plan that, that as the beginning of Matthew, it, it stretches way back into the Old Testament. Abraham, David, and now Joseph, and, and, and Jesus. It's all coming together. It's God's plan. 
Uh, and he goes on in verse 21. He says, she'll be, give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. You see, Mary's role, give birth. <laughs> you know, just, you know, have that baby. And now your job, Joseph, you step in, you name that baby. You're not naming him Joe Jr., okay? You're not going to name him Jacob after your dad or Eliakim or any of those other family names that are in your lineage. No, no, no. You're naming him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. The Greek word Jesus is a transliteration from the Hebrew word Joshua which means salvation is of the Lord. That's what it means. I mean, his name defines his mission. Salvation comes from the Lord, from Yahweh, from God. And that is the name that Jesus would fulfill. Because he says, let me go back to verse 21 there. It says, uh, he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus came to do. The birth and naming of Jesus revealed God's purpose to provide salvation for you and for me. Okay, so the problem here is that we will encounter at Christmas. We love the baby Jesus. We love the story of Mary and Joseph. We love the wise men, the shepherds. It's all a great story. But when you hear this, what it implies is that you do need to be saved from something. To be saved, it, it, it indicates that you are in a predicament. You are in peril. Uh, you are either drowning, you're in a building that's burning down, you're lost in the wilderness. You need to be saved, if you're, but that requires you to be in a predicament where you need help and assistance and deliverance. And many people aren't willing to accept the fact that they're in a predicament. I'm good. I don't need any saving. Jesus can save other people, but I'm good. I've done what I need to do. I'm a good person. But Matthew and the New Testament and the Bible would suggest to all of us that we need what only God can provide. He says, I'm sending my son because he needs to do something that none of you could do. I wouldn't have sent Jesus if we, if we could save ourselves. Why waste the time and, and the effort and go through the suffering? But he said, none of you can save yourselves. You keep trying, but you keep failing. The history of humanity is that story. And then this history of humanity encounters the cross. And Jesus says, I'm here to save you from your sins. The first aspect of that, of course, is, is the penalty of your sins. And the second aspect is the power. We'll get to that in a moment later here. Um, but all of us have this sinful nature. When you believe in Jesus Christ, we're forgiven for that penalty. But, but, but now we have to use his empowerment to, to get over the power of sin in our lives, right? You, you had habits before. Uh, you're going to still have those habits. But now you have the Holy Spirit to help you to refine and, and to change and to alter those habits. But you're still going to blow it. I'm out there working on the lights. The picture of the light of the world, Jesus Christ, the one who saves us from our sins. And uh, I'm in a mood and, and kind of focused and something happened. And I had an exchange with someone from the community that was not nice. It, it wasn't nice at all. Uh, impatient. Um, and, and I did disservice to the, to, the, to the end of the nativity. 
I really did a disservice too, because like, like, yeah, they're coming in to set up, you know, to do stuff, and and, and here I am, and, and I'm I'm not acting in, in accordance with Christ, right? The power of sin in my life, and in that moment, I acted in the flesh, and and so this last week, I had to get on the phone and make a phone call and apologize and take ownership for that, because I was acting with Mike's power, not with Christ's power in me. And, 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 you know, we all face those, those you know, every, every day and every week, those, those scenarios come in where, where, where we could live on our own strength or we could walk in the power of God's empowering presence. And Jesus came to save me from that. But in that moment, and, and we all have those moments, and in my mind, I'm like, this could go so much worse than I can imagine, and it went really well. And I, had, I, and I had another situation where, where I didn't commit the same thing, but the, the potential for the phone call could, could go really bad, and, and it actually ended up going good. And then I, I had another scenario with a family member that, that's not even more dicey, and that one went well. And I was like, okay, Lord, I always think it's going to go so, so bad, but you can, you can redeem these situations. And he forgave my sin. I came to him first, and then I did the right thing, and I went. And, and I'm not the hero in this story. I'm just saying Jesus came to save us from that reality. So we don't act like jerks, or we don't live selfishly, or we don't, you know, we, we look out for others, and we care, and we love, and we have peace and joy, and, and that comes as we walk with the Lord. And Jesus came, his purpose was to, to save us from the penalty of sin and from the ongoing power of sin. First John says, if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. And then in verse 22, the story continues. This all happened so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, the birth of Jesus introduced God's presence according to God's prophecy. God with us. I am placing my son into your world. He's going to live. You're going to see me through my son. I'm going to reveal God to everyone through Jesus Christ. He is God's presence according to God's prophecy. He is fulfilling what was prophesied centuries earlier. This is Jesus. And in verse 24, it says, Joseph awoke from his sleep and did what the angel of the Lord told him. He took his wife, but did not have marital relations with her until she gave birth to a son whom he named Jesus. You see, the birth of Jesus included the obedient participation of faithful people. Does that plan make sense to you? It wouldn't to me if I was in Joseph's situation. Like, okay, I mean, I got a lot of questions, but, you know, some, many of our questions will all go unanswered, and I don't know what will happen in eternity, but we just say, if this is what you want, God, okay, I'm in. Even in John 8, it, these Jewish leaders make this offhanded reference to Jesus being the offspring of fornication. I mean, the, he, they lived with this story their whole lives, the shame. The guilt, the suspicion, the shadow of, well, what happened? Either Mary had another boyfriend or Joseph jumped the gun there. You know, like the whole, their whole life. But they're like, it is your plan. It's a good plan, and we're going to do what you've asked us to do. The focus of the Christmas story is Jesus. And all these other people are just small roles in the bigger story of God's plan. Do you understand that? 
I mean, Joseph's important, Mary's important, but, but not in the same ranking as Jesus. We can't let any of the characters step up into that role because there's, there's only one star in this story, and that's Jesus Christ, the all-star. And they name him Jesus. So I got a few lessons here. Uh, when you believe in Jesus, you discover God's plan for your life. Before Jesus, you're just doing your own thing. But when you encounter Jesus and you believe in Jesus Christ and you, you accept him and he died for your sins, he rose again, suddenly you realize that you're not just here randomly. You are not the result of billions of years of mutations that somehow, you know, spur, you know flow together and, and now you're just living with other mutations. That's not the reality. You realize, oh, there's actually an all-knowing creator that made this and, and he's got a plan and there's a salvation plan and now, now I'm a part of his plan. You enter his story. God works within human history to accomplish his plans. What a crazy God that is, right? We, we mess it up all the time, but he continues to use flawed, imperfect people like me and like you. You can stick to your own plan, but I'm going to guarantee you that it will never be as good as God's plan for your life. And young people, young adults, teenagers, uh, you, will, you need to really pray about what you should be doing with your future, but, but recognize that God has a part in that decision-making, right? What does God want me to do with my life? That should be a good question to ask. Who would God want me to marry? That's a good question to ask. What you discover may not answer what people in your life suggest for you to do. Get a good-paying job. You know, marry someone from a good family. Do this, do this. Don't go overseas. Don't, you know. I mean, there's all sorts of other voices. But the voice we should listen to most carefully is God's voice. And he does have a plan for your life. Your life is not an accident. God has a purpose for you. And he invites you into relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Secondly, when you believe in Jesus, you are saved from your sins. The penalty and the power of sin. Right now, we all carry this, like, rap sheet. You know, when you get pulled over by the police, they take your license, right? They go to their car, they sit down, and, and, and she or he types into, you know, all the numbers, and then it brings up, you, there you are. Or you're traveling, you take your passport, and they scan your passport, and then if, if there's anything nefarious in your life, that comes up, and they're like, oh, Mr. Nadalco, why don't you come to this room? You know, we need to got some rubber gloves. We need to, you know, we need to, you know, have a little talk, you know I mean? I mean, but Jesus takes care of that. When we come to him in faith, he forgives us. He saves us from our sins. And he enables us to experience an ongoing reality of salvation where we continually become less controlled by our sin and more controlled by the Holy Spirit. That, that's called sanctification. That's an aspect of salvation. That's part of this, the saving that he wants you and I to experience today. Yeah, the, the penalty is dealt with. The rap sheet has been burned up. But now he's like, let me help you be more patient. Be more loving. Be less selfish. Let me fill you with joy and peace. Let me help you not to worry about money all the time. Let me help you, you deal with, with the desires you have, whether that be greed or lust or, or, or jealousy or envy. Let me help you with your insecurities, which dominate you and, and cause you to just hurt relationships all around. Let me help you with that. 
Let me save you from your sin. And we live in a world where we just see people running and doing sinful things all the time. The way they talk to each other, the way they treat each other, the way they disrespect each other's property and ideas and all this stuff. And Jesus is like, I came to bring you new life. Are you experiencing that new life today? We're celebrating that today in communion. As we take the bread and the cup, we're just reminded of the new life we have in Jesus Christ and, and, and how the penalty is dealt with, but also the power is being dealt with if we walk with Jesus. That moving up and out of new life in Jesus Christ is like, yeah, I've come to faith in him, but now I'm, I'm growing in him. And what used to define me isn't defining me anymore. And even when I blow it, I just circle around like we do at communion and say, yeah, I'm starting out fresh again with you, Jesus. I was impatient. I was inappropriate. Forgive me. I was greedy. Forgive me. Whatever it is that, that you're dealing with. Number three, when you believe in Jesus, you encounter God's presence in your life. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And the last words of Matthew's gospel, I mean, he's like, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, you know, or baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. He's like, and remember, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. You're never alone when you have Jesus. Never, ever alone. You will be alone at school. You'll be alone at work. You'll be alone in some family gatherings. You'll be alone in your hockey team, your basketball team, your lacrosse team, whatever you play. You'll be alone, you know, on the the well site, in the office, in the shop. You'll be alone. But not if you have Jesus. You're never, ever alone alone. And that's what we celebrate as we partake in communion. And notice we're doing it together. I mean, we, sometimes we did it online, but that's really not fully the way it should be because it, it's about us being together. And Jesus is like, I'm with you always. And as you partake in communion, realize you're not alone either. And here we are. We're, we're all friends, family, in, because of Jesus to the end of the age. I finish with this story. Uh, John Harper, I got a picture here. A Scottish preacher. He had preached a, a series of revivals in the Moody Church in Chicago, and he went back to Scotland and was invited back. And so he took his, his six-year-old daughter and his sister, and they were going back to Chicago. They had the wonderful opportunity to, to, to go over the ocean on the most modern ship of its day, the Titanic. <laughs> until the Titanic hit an iceberg and began to take on water. Even on the Titanic, people weren't willing to accept the fact that this ship was going down. But John Harper ran around telling people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. He was heard yelling out, women, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats. Even as he hit the water, he's swimming from passenger to passenger. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you believe, do you have salvation? And, you know, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe in, you know, he met a guy like, no, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. Takes off his life jacket and says, you need this more than I did. And throws it to him. His last dying words, he's, he finally encounters this guy. He, 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 in the waves, he had talked to him once, and he talks to him again. He's like, do you, know, do you know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? You'll be saved. And then, bloop, 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 bloop. 
at a reunion, this man said, you know, he, he, he did get picked up just shortly after that by a lifeboat, and you know, they're in Ontario in this reunion, and he's like, yeah, you know, that man died telling me the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are all sinking in the icy waters of our sin. And Jesus took off his life vest and gave it to us. He gave us what we needed to be saved. And we celebrate that today. And not only that, let John Harper be an inspiration to us that this Christmas is an opportunity to tell people that there is a better way. There's the way of Jesus. And we have the opportunity to share that, and not in, in an offensive or a shove it down your throat way, but just sort of be like, you know, Christ has transformed my life, and, and I, he can transform yours, and I'd love to share that with you. Or come from Christmas Eve and just hear the story. We're going to sing about it. We're going to read it. It's, it's, but, you know, just, just consider it. It's a good option. And so as we partake in communion today, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to come and share it with us. Also this week, though, if you were doing your own thing and you were just, you could care less about God, but you show up on church and be like, okay, I'm going to put on my church face and my church, you know, you know comportment, I'm going to take communion. But, but you know in your heart that you're not doing the right things. Uh, don't take it. Just wait. Take a break. Deal with that stuff. You can confess it this morning. We don't want to make a mockery of what Christ did for us on the cross. And we do that when we pre- pretend to be his follower, devoted to him and loving him and, and are doing our own thing out there. Let's be careful about that. Children that are young should not partake in communion because they don't get it yet. Uh, the parents, that's your job to ensure that your children has articulated a faith in Jesus Christ. But here it is. You can confess. And it's a reminder of the mission that we have here at New Life to move up and out of New Life in Jesus Christ when we partake in communion. And so as this Christmas continues here in the middle of our Christmas season, we're going to celebrate Communion. We're going to invite the team up here, and we're going to sing a couple songs, and, and we're going to take communion. If, you, um, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, please partake with us. If you're still on the journey, you're not sure, you were invited here, someone dragged you to church, you can just sit there and watch us do our thing. No big deal. Sometimes people choose not to take communion for other reasons, and that's fine. We don't judge you in this moment, but this is between you and the Lord. But this is a celebration of what Christ has done for us. When you come up here, you are acknowledging and admitting Yes, I was going down. I was, my legs were cramping, my arms were cramping, I couldn't feel anything, hypothermia was setting in, I was ready to drown, and Jesus saved me. The building was burning down, and he put the ladder up there, and he carried me out. I did nothing to do this, he did it all. And we celebrate that here this morning. You're making a declaration. If you didn't need to be saved, then you don't need to partake in communion. But if, but if you come up here, you're acknowledging with me, yes, I was beyond hope, without help, until I discovered Jesus. And if you haven't experienced salvation through Jesus Christ, I invite you to believe in Jesus Christ today. He did this for you. He did this for me. And so we celebrate this together. We'll come up the outsides, and we'll go down the middle. When you're ready to partake in communion, there'll also be someone circulating with a cup and a tray, just so, you know, if you're not able to get up or you're not, you would like, like to get up, that's fine. We can serve you where you're seated. Um, but you come up, grab your, your cup. There'll be some couples here. They'll distribute the bread to you. If you're gluten-free, there's that option is right here. Return to your seats, and we'll partake in communion 
together. Would you join me as we just pray and prepare our hearts to celebrate this act of worship here this Christmas as we join in communion together? Lord, we confess our sins to you. We acknowledge the perfect substitute, which is Jesus, our Savior. He saved us. He's the reason we celebrate Christmas. That even at his birth, you determined that that his role would be to save us. And we celebrate that here 2,000 years later. He continually saves people. What a privilege it is to be part of that family. And we give glory to Jesus Christ this morning. And we pray that our hearts would just be renewed in love and appreciation and sincere and humble worship of our Savior as we partake in communion together. Cleanse our hearts and our minds. May this tune our Christmas worship as we here in the middle of Advent focus on Christ together. We are your church, your family. Be glorified in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.